is you'll have even more resources and calls to action for things you can actually do to channel the rage. I'm Gabe. And I'm Kat. And we're the, the ghouls, ghouls next, next door. door. Talk about spooky stuff. <laughs> and we are starting a new series. Yeah. We started, technically started last week, but um, this is like for real, for real. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Series. So we are the media analysis podcast, media literacy podcast from the horror lens where we explore the real life, historical, right now happening <laughs> events that uh, influence our cinematic fears. And we are starting our new uh, series, yeah. which is F the Patriarchy. Yeah, which uh, is very timely in that it's always timely just because everything's awful all the time. Um, but extra right now just because there is so much attack i mean there was attack before but like it felt like when is a better time except for the present to cover this again kind of yeah <laughs> but like with way more intentionality way more like views towards pointing to activism um just because mm-hmm. it's why not yeah you know we've kind of shaped up the way that we do our content for a few years now Mm -hmm. um and because we've been around for a long time (laughs) and uh like we've covered the oppression of women we've covered the horrors of society in all kinds of ways um population control all of those things and so i think um those were always like one-off episodes. So doing a whole series where we're talking about a lot of the complex issues that come with talking about feminism and talking about the issues that women face. And I think also on top of that is that a lot of what we're going to be covering, there's like maybe two films that are directed or written by women in this series, which is commentary in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, like why don't we have more? Um, and what could be done? Like what could we have expected from these pieces of media were they told from the lens of the very people who are experiencing those issues and they were more intentional um sometimes intentionality kind of falls through (laughs) it kind of goes past the mark that we want um whereas others sometimes it just accidentally becomes feminist that happens we've done that like when we were talking about uh she never dies Mm -hmm. like whoa surprise you're a new sectional feminist (laughs) yeah (laughs) that one yeah, my biggest observation is I've seen so many just horrible movies, or not horrible necessarily, but not good movies made by men that were either trying to be intentionally feminist um, or <laughs> invisible men, accidentally feminist. And at that point, I'm just like, all right, if we're going to let people make crappy feminist films, at least let women do that. Like you're yeah. giving the like, men all the, op- the shots, you yeah. know what I mean? Like I would be less fail. angry <laughs> that it was bad if a woman wrote it or like, I don't know, like LGBTQI non-binary or like whatever the hell, I don't know. I just like, I need, I need cishet men to stop. <laughs> stop. 
I need them to stop. Um, Or it's just, you know, understanding Uh, that you impact on the world too, right? Like that what you make is going to have some kind of impact on your audience, whether you know or not, even in this year, 2022, you make things and we question and we might like you. We might like the things that you've done previously. And then we ask, okay, but did you have to do this one or could you have handed it over? Yeah. Like, or like at least just include women in the, in the conversation. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, cause there are instances yeah. where that takes place. Um, and it's yeah, fine. like in invisible man, which like, as much as we disliked it, there were like, he did talk to people. He talked to yeah, women. He tried. Yeah. So you <laughs> gotta give him credit where credit's due is really what it is. At these <laughs> I, <know>. um, <laughs> I promise we don't hate everyone. Um, we are not misandrists, but at the same time, we call out things when we see problems with them. And so we are kicking off this uh, series just because um, we felt it was very timely. And yeah. whenever there are really in-your-face horrific things happening in our society, we take that as an opportunity to talk about it. It's on people's radar. People are probably more susceptible to listening to it. Um, we did it in the summer of 2020. We mm-hmm. changed to Horror Wild Black was a series that we started up um, because that was a big conversation that people were having. And so diving into that. And so it's very, very timely. And we'll find that, um, like, yeah, like <laughs> sometimes you don't intend it to be this way, but it just so happens in the political climate that a film comes out and the way that you're portraying characters, it becomes bigger than what you're expecting. Um, yeah. So yeah. why don't we hop in? Okay. Uh, we're going to be talking about Black Christmas. Uh, we will talk about two of the Black Christmases. We will not talk about the one in the middle um, because it's sad. Uh, <laughs> not to say, like, arguably, they're all kind of, they have, they're all kind of bad in ways. Um, but at least there's some merit to the 74 and the 2019 version. Um, whereas the one in the middle was a mess and kind of devalued work mm-hmm. that intentionally or not had happened in the first one and then later in the last one so um we pretend it doesn't exist uh, so uh for those uh listening i will tell you what both of these are about on their brief summaries from imdb so black christmas from 1974 the original is during their christmas break a group of sorority girls are stalked by a stranger and it is directed by bob clark the 2019 version black christmas is about A group of female students is stalked by a stranger during their Christmas break. That is until the young sorority pledges discover that the killer is part of an underground college conspiracy. And that is directed by Sophia Tikal. So, um, a lady. And there's there's another sentence there, right? So it it becomes less of this very um, insular uh, event and becomes something that seems to be a little hinting at societally. Um, yeah. <laughs> though when I get to it, it kind of ruins itself in the end. Um, but it definitely had potential. So I, I know people hate it. So we'll, we'll get into it. But what I want to start with is actually the 1974 version. Um, so uh, the original Black Christmas follows these groups, this group of sorority girls um, as they're slowly picked off by an unknown killer in the darkness. Um, who's like always lurking in the shadows. The girls have been, um, when we first meet them, we realize that they have been harassed by a creepy male caller dubbed the Moaner. He calls and says horrifying and uncomfortable things about the girls or women in general. Um, And the girls just generally don't even bother calling the police because like, what are they going to do about it? Um, And 
they know that the society isn't going to take it seriously. Um, and it's clearly an offense. Like, <laughs> right from the beginning, you have this, like, creepy caller. Um, and these girls left alone to have to deal with that. It's mm-hmm. a red flag for what may or may not happen soon. Um, and as girls start to go missing and the others worry, they eventually do seek out help from the authorities. But they are dismissed because it is winter break. Right. And the girls are probably off with some boyfriend um, and just off doing what bad girls do, bad college girls do instead of being. They went home. to college, so. Yeah, that's the problem. Some of them. Yeah. So, like, the authorities are, like, are just as awful. Not just as awful, but they are equally awful in, in just like their dismissal of these girls and, and their worry. Um, and it's actually not until another man expresses concern, um, a girl's father, actually, that the police are like, hmm, maybe something is amiss. Yeah. <laughs> Take this into account and actually care about this girl. Um, yeah. And in Black Christmas, it is uh, an original slasher which I thought was really entertaining because it actually came before Halloween um, and before the subgenres like popularity craze, right, is Black Christmas. <laughs> it was like before its time. I think that's crazy. It features really creative uh, point of view shots that Halloween is actually often praised for, like that mm-hmm. one they have that like um, they – like I remember watching that documentary about it and how they like had to time it perfectly to like go and um uh the the young um Michael Myers walking through the house yeah and so uh Black Christmas actually has a quite a few of those point of view shots and it's a very long like lingering voyeuristic shots yeah. that happen as well which is something that people really love Halloween for as well um I'm not saying Halloween stole this yeah I don't know if like he watched it <laughs> like if this team watched it but in the same vein of like these places are were otherwise thought as being safe or no longer safe there's also the case of like real serial killers who um there's that one serial killer i can't remember his name someone's gonna yell at me on the internet who actually did kill like this house of nurses like nurses oh i remember that listening like, uh, came in. Yeah. yeah he came in and like uh slowly he just like tied up all the girls and slowly killed them and one of them managed to like hide under the bed yeah of the time and was able to like uh say who it was um so there it's definitely like stems from somewhat real issues um or things that had happened in the world though just not quite like this um it's definitely a product of its time for a lot of ways in a lot of ways um uh, especially with what the killer is and like how women are treated it's definitely a part of that but um it's very horror (laughs) very like I think it's just interesting that um it's not always like a first thing that people mention when they think about like slasher in that genre or even just like um home invasion even could be be seen as that the death scenes are really long and suffocating there's like the one where he's like literally suffocating a girl like those take forever um and i think what's really interesting about black christmas from 1974 is that the final girl is really human like she's vulnerable but also steadfast like she sticks to her guns and fights back in a way that we're not used to in horror, yeah especially at this time um it's also one of the first the call is coming from inside the house tropes 
I guess, spoilers for this <laughs> 1974 <laughs> um, film, but it, it does, like, you know, uh, it was, like, one of the first ones to do that. Uh-huh. And I think what makes Black Christmas quite interesting, however, is that it is has incredibly uh, feminist undertones. Yeah. And I say under uh, mostly because it seems like from interviews with the director, Bob Clark, that it wasn't really his original intent to be like this feminist idea. It just like happens. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so like, we'll talk about that. Um, but it just comes from, with the territory when you're writing about vulnerable women in this way and women specifically that are uh, at the mercy of patriarchal power and are in direct opposition to society's expectation of what proper women are supposed to be. Yeah. Cause that's like what these girls are, which I was like, that's so crazy for slasher, like horror. To yeah. Do. They all kind of existed as this like defiance of mm-hmm. those roles each individually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like for um, one of the biggest reasons why this is dubbed as a feminist film and why we're covering it is um, actually it's focus on abortion specifically. And that is that our final girl, right? So our protagonist, the person we're rooting for is yeah. pregnant and she doesn't want to be. Yeah. Um, and it's quite an amazing situation for a horror movie in the 1970s. Uh, Jess tells her boyfriend, Peter, that she wants an abortion and she does not sugarcoat it. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't use euphemisms. She wants an abortion. Which, yeah. when we're thinking about film these days, like everyone kind of says like, oh, it's going to get taken care of. Or what are you going to do about it? Like, yeah. We never say it outright. It's a dirty word. Yeah. Right? And it's not, there's a few films out there that really do a great job of kind of being more realistic and honest about abortion and, and acknowledging it as a valid option. Mm-hmm. And this film, like that's literally, she's just like, yeah, that's what I want. Period. Um, and the fact that this film was re- released only a year after the ruling of Roe v. Wade, um, the presence of a final girl who steadfastly seeks an abortion in a horror film is honestly transformative. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It's just crazy to me. Um, and whether it's Clark's intention or not, it certainly becomes feminist here because Jess is our protagonist and we never see her in a villainous light. Um, rather we see her rage fueled boyfriend, Peter as the monster. He is destructive. He like destroys this piano in the fit, like throwing a temper tantrum, mm-hmm. uh, and is even believed to be the killer, um, yeah. throughout most of this, <laughs> like, cause it seems very obvious. It's like, what is going on? Yeah. Um, and while Jess is continually compassionate, seeking answers and fighting against the oppressive systems that seek to invalidate her and her fellow sisters experiences, like she just continues to be our heroine. Mm-hmm. Um, and anytime like it comes up that like she wants an abortion, like even when police find out, uh, it's still very clear that they're the bad guy and this is her right to choose. Mm-hmm. Um, in an article on Dread Central titled Jess's Choice, How Black Christmas 1974 Responsibly Addresses Abortion and Bodily Autonomy, written by Mary Beth McAndrews, uh, they further describe the important subtext of having a final girl like Jess and a villain like Peter. Um, before he can get too excited, she quickly says, I'm getting an abortion. She is merely telling Peter that she has made the decision. Yet, in this moment of establishing her bodily autonomy, Peter becomes livid, making the situation about him. Peter asks Jess, don't you ever consider anyone but yourself? 
He adopts manipulative and abusive language to weaponize Jess's own decisions against her. Then he asks, how could you do this to me today? Centering Jess's experience on himself. He doesn't care about Jess, but about how this affects him and his personal goals. These questions snarled through his curled lips, drip with cruelty and accusations, telling Jess she isn't allowed to or capable of making this choice. To Peter, Jess's body is his, especially since it's bearing his seed just gross don't use that word but how it is yeah. <laughs> like that. um again it just goes on to explain like that jess doesn't even have a big reason for not wanting to have the child which is also really important yeah. um because she's in a somewhat stable relationship like up until this ridiculous tantrum peter's been kind of fine right he's kind of dismissive but it's like kind of par for the course for men oh, yeah. <laughs> that we see in this film um but she's also at a good place in her life like she's in college but she's on her way out she's doing good things and she is fully capable of taking care of a child were that her want mm-hmm. um but she simply doesn't want one right now like she wants to pursue her dreams she wants to live her life um and that in peter's eyes makes her the villain and mcandrew says Even more, her abortion doesn't define her. Jess isn't just a character undergoing the procedure whose every action and motivation revolves around pregnancy. Instead, she is the final girl, a survivor and a fighter, not just against Peter, but against all the men that refuse to listen to her, including the police. Um, Because like I said, there's like a point where Peter or someone meant, like I think it was Peter, someone mentioned on the phone, hinting at her abortion. Mm -hmm. And they look to her like, what's that about? And so she's like, I'm going to have an abortion. I guess that's relevant. And it's your business now. That's a reason um, for someone to moan and yeah. murder you. And then, the yeah, the cop's like, well, no wonder he's upset. It has to be Peter. That's He's got a good reason for murder. Um, <laughs> just trash. Just trash. That cop was so trash. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a, a commentary on campus police in general as well. Um, the fact that colleges and collegiate organizations handle a lot of that stuff in-house and a very corrupt and not actually benefit or it's very like hush hush don't mm-hmm. talk about it yeah and i think in in the first one the they tried the campus police and they're the ones who are like she's probably out with her boyfriend and it's this is like a real detective um because eventually it gets that far um, mm-hmm. and even still they fail i'll tell you about how much they fail um <laughs> but uh this <laughs> there's this other part, and that it's that these uh, sorority girls are good bad girls. <laughs> yeah. um, so the true killer, which honestly should have been Peter, makes me mad that it wasn't. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, is a stranger who lives in the attic. Yeah. Spoilers, but again, it's 1974. Yeah. Um, he is a man who is superimposing his traumas onto the women in the house. He speaks of a mother, of getting rid of a baby, of abuse and torment, and he acts out these delusions onto the women of the house and in the town. Um, and in an article on horrorobsessive.com titled Slay Girls, The Sliding Scale of Feminism in the Black Christmas Films by Robin Moon, they explain... The killer is a psychosexual villain who targets solely women and girls, addressing them over the phone in an inherently sexual and creepy manner. He hides from women, luring and attacking them only when he knows they are vulnerable. After killing Claire, he sits her in a rocking chair and places a baby doll in her lap. His actions reflect an inferiority to an infantilization of women enjoying control over their bodies after he has killed them. These are all signs of misogyny-fueled murder. And this brings me to another element of the film that I think makes it even more feminist, and that's just the women 
the way that yeah. they're written and who they are. Um, the girls in the sorority are not good girls, <laughs> like, yeah. like quote unquote, right? Uh, not by the standards to which they are expected to abide. Uh, the character Barb is an outspoken, raunchy, and sexually confident woman. She smokes drinks, makes sexual innuendos that upset uppity old men. She's a product of her time, making terribly sexist jokes or holding sexist problematic ideologies, such as when a town girl is um, raped and murdered, she quips, you can't rape a townie. Um, And she's an entire problem. But she's also herself. um, (laughs) Which is like, you just don't get that. And and I think a big part of it too is although like Barb is incorrigible, there are things about her you're like, wow, she is kind of the worst in a lot of ways. Uh Um, She's still in comparison, like the villains still are like one of the the actual villain that's murdering people. Um, But also like the police force or the men in power, like every time she interacts with a man um, and she more or less teases them. Like she has like the one dad, like right out fellatio at one point. Hilarious. Uh Um, She's kind of seemed a, a little charming in that way. Like, that's just Barb, right? Like, Barb is just the wild woman. Mm -hmm. Um, So she's never really, like, a villain. (laughs) And I think that's really important, too. Um, She's there alongside her fellow sorority sisters, and she's looking for the missing ones. Like, she does try. It takes a little bit because she, like, doesn't quite know that's happening. Um, But she trusts that her friends are distressed enough that it matters. Um, And she's fighting back against the moaner on the phone. Like, she, like, talks to him and says things about it. And, um when the father of one of the missing girls comes to find her, he is appalled by these girls and how that they act like, like he finds alcohol or he finds like any um, hints that they party or have a good time or aren't here just being studious. Um, <laughs> like it's, it's very clear that these are women um, that for this time are bad in a way. Mm-hmm. And the police are also made uncomfortable by them. Um, and it's really easy to dismiss these girls as being wild and therefore not worthy of justice or their time. Like the police feel that way. Yeah. Um, and even their house mother is like on the fridge, on the fringe. Like she allows them to have this like raucous behavior and supports them throughout it. Like she's always there. She tries to cover up their tracks um, and she fights to keep the men around them blind to their true nature because she's like, this is them and they're allowed to be this way. But I also know society sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so she like, in, in a lot of ways protects them from that um and she knows what happens when men see you as less than mm-hmm. um so i thought it was like pretty beautiful that she was there i thought she was like kind of quirky and fun um and for i think specifically for a genre that focuses in def- uh definitely in the years that follow this film uh, on the brutalization and torment of them bodies having the good guys be these bad girls is phenomenal <laughs> quite honestly um and the fact that like we have so many of those slasher films where the moral of the story is like don't have sex you'll die um mm-hmm. and just be good girls or look what happens like the final girls are the virgins right yeah. um that's not the case Jess very clearly is it a virgin yeah. and she's our final girl right like I think it's just crazy that's like at the beginning of this whole movement of of what we will know slashers to be are these really bad girls and you root for them, Mm -hmm. uh, which is great. Now I'll go to the 2019 film. Uh, This is the second remake of Black Christmas. Like I said, there's one in the middle, (laughs) but it's like, what are you doing? (laughs) It's a product of its time as well. Like before people were trying to do anything, they were like, it's just fun. Yeah. We know people liked it. So what if we just keep going? Yeah. Um, 
You don't have to do that. So as a second remake, this one follows a group of sorority girls as they are being slowly picked off by an unknown evil. Uh, but it is made in 2019 and is directed by a woman, Sophia Takal. So this one seeks to be as fem- feminist as it is allowed. Like it's yeah. not pretend it's not an accident <laughs> it's very clear it's not an accident it's all intentional and our fi- final girl riley doesn't want an abortion but she is the victim of an on-campus sexual assault um and the tone throughout is one of negligence uh the boy who harmed her continues his college career unscathed while riley fights to protect her sisters from similar circumstances that feel inevitable um because there's nothing to protect these girls so it's just bound to happen again and again. Mm-hmm. And as in the, orig- in the original, the girls are dismissed when they seek help, but not only because they are girls, but because they are outspoken girls. So it's not as like blatant, like girls are going to like go off with their boyfriends and we just don't care what women have to say. It's that we don't care what these women have to say specifically because they have been talking about all of the things that are wrong in our society for too long (laughs) and too loud. Um, So they're essentially seen as uh, attention-seeking troublemakers. They are SJWs and therefore couldn't have any real problems. They make them up. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in an article on movie.com titled Line Lips, Spike Bats, When You're a Woman, It's Always Political by Willow Caitlin McClay, they explain some of the more subtle, powerful aspects of this feminist film. They say... There's one scene early on where Riley Stone is working her day job as a barista. Everything is normal until a man walks in she immediately recognizes. He's the best friend of the man who raped her. He's there for no other reason than to exert his power over her. But because Riley is working her day job, she can't say or do anything except serve him. The new Black Christmas is filled to the brim with examples like these and goes about delivering them in frank to the point fashion that feels more appropriate for the times we live in now. Instead of dirty phone calls, the new edition of this story includes suggestive threatening text messages and the anxieties around abortion and a woman's right to choose are updated to that of rape culture. Um, so it was like, yes, and mm-hmm. <laughs> to, the, to the original, as opposed to like what the second one was. <laughs> That's weird. Um, I think there's some really beneficial things in the fact that it was like very overtly feminist and intentional that we liked. We like when you don't pull your punches. We like when you just flat out say mm-hmm. things. I think that's totally fine. I think it's allowed. And when we were watching, we did feel very much like, um, despite some of the harsh reviews that the film has gotten, we were like, it's not as bad as people are making it out to be. Um, yeah. But I do feel like there were some things that uh, fell short. I think it's just different from what other people are complaining about. <laughs> Yeah. So um, it has gotten a lot of harsh reviews and many dislike the on the nose feminist commentary. Again, we don't care. like we love that. So yeah. <laughs> that's not our problem. Um, my problem is uh, we have this sorority girl named Chris who's highly opinionated. Uh, she has petitions regarding the curriculum and is constantly chiming in with typical activist rhetoric. And like Barb in the first one, she's a problematic woman. Yeah. Um, she refuses to abide by society's expectations and instead calls out the misogyny, racism, and patriarchal issues of the school and society. However, the constant quips and catchphrases feel forced and make Chris highly unlikable. She was terrible. <laughs> she didn't feel like a friend. She just felt like the annoying SJW that everyone's supposed to hate, um, which Barb also kind of sucks. So I maybe there's an equal equal thing there um but she also continually puts riley into terrible situations where she is uncomfortable under the guise of fighting back 
Um, and she puts all the onus on Riley to fight against Riley to fight against her attacker, the system, and more. Um, in fact, there's like a terrible music number that plays at her assault and is framed as a sassy win, but instead comes off as an incredibly uncomfortable um, situation, not only for the audience, but also Riley, who didn't want to do it. And it's weird because, like, originally the other girls were going to do it, and then she had to, like, fill in Mm -hmm. (laughs) for a girl who was just about to be assaulted. Like, what... Like you're getting so close, and then we're like, no. Um, And in that same Slay Girl article, uh, Moon goes on to say, this sentiment recurs consistently throughout the film, with Chris shaming Riley for not fighting back against her rapist at every opportunity and likening it to upholding the patriarchy. No respect for Riley's boundaries or feelings is given, but instead the responsibility for ending misogyny and rape culture is placed entirely on her shoulders, which is extremely problematic and insulting. and I get that. <laughs> and um, whereas Bob was a problem in the 19, uh, Barb was a problem in the 1974 version, certainly Chris made feminists look bad. Um, furthermore, there's a problem in the fact that Chris is a black woman. And so she isn't only fighting about the, against the patriarchy, but also the racist systems that oppress her and others that look like her. And yet she is designed as an annoying like harbinger. Like, always just, like, I'm doing this just because instead of, like, I'm doing this because we need to. (laughs) Like, it it always felt like she was doing it because she wanted, like, she wanted that title. She wanted that attention Um, instead of, like, the, like, no one was taking her seriously, even the good guys. Um, And that just kind of undermines everything she was saying. And what she was saying was totally valid. Yeah. (laughs) Like, she had every right to be bad. Um, So she's just, like... uh, design this way and i think if if chris were the protagonist we could have explored way more issues um and possibly done more uh done more and with more tact (laughs) specifically uh and so it was really easy to dismiss dismiss chris in all of what she stood for simply because she was seen as like annoying and like she was just a trope like we were just like oh she's that right even when she's winning in the end well there was just like a lack of character development throughout um that didn't add to any of the characters specifically. Like they were all just reading their lines, filling this role um, instead of uh, giving them like actual growth and character development. And yeah, it was like, I didn't like that they made Chris the bad guy because they shouldn't have. It was rude. And I agree. I think she would have been a better protagonist. Uh, Mm -hmm. It would have had a different meaning. Um, Yeah. Like don't throw her in there as like a, secondary annoying character it just diminishes her whole point this <laughs> is not fun the other problem with this film is its ending kind of undoes a lot of the work that it's done um the big the biggest issue with it is that uh it is revealed that the fraternity has awakened its founder spirit who was super misogynistic and the worst um he apparently was like a cultist or something magical and mm-hmm. holds a terrible power that allows him to control the minds of the boys. And these boys, were who were already terrible, are now arguably victims, too. Mm-hmm. Because they're not really in control of their actions. Um, and so we see, uh, we see the power that this has as other boys um, who were not associated with the frat and um, were otherwise seen as 
probably kind of nice, are affected by that power. Um, a boyfriend is turned misogynistic and awful, uh, starts saying really like, terrible things because he has this headache, and it's because the guy is in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Otherwise, that whole time, he was very nice. There's a potential friend and or maybe boyfriend in the future uh, who is quickly turned into a foe when he interacts with the frat. But before that, he was a nice guy. So that begs the question, were these boys innocent? Like, not all of them, obviously. And it's kind of like a representative of, like, there's an infection um, that, like, patriarchy and misogyny has. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a societal thing, and it, it leaks out, and you're not... Um, it's kind of like there's not one bad apple <laughs> situation, mm-hmm. right? They're all kind of bad in some way. But at the same time, it's like we don't really know that, Um because we kind of discredit any evil that they've done and we put it on a magical force yeah. that doesn't have like a face really. Um, and so it's like, did these girls just murder other victims? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is happening? So again, that Slay, art- Slay Girls article uh, explains the problem of the supernatural ending saying, the involvement of the supernatural undercuts any real world reflection of patriarchy and misogyny as it narrows its... F- it down to a frat cult that can be defeated. Misogyny in real life is ingrained in the fabric of society and expressed via microaggressions as well as direct violence towards and sexual assault of women. So any magical, otherworldly influence trivializes this reality. Furthermore, the twist brings into question whether the DKO pledges were actually evil, as the implication of brainwashing absolves them of any personal responsibility. Um, They also say Riley and most of the women escape in the end after killing the DKO pledges in an attempt to uh, in in an attempt at empowering conclusion. Um, However, it feels unearned and also validates Chris's problematic attitude of burdening rape survivors with the responsibility of fighting back. If the pledges were brainwashed, then the women potentially just murdered a building full of innocent people. And judging by how the police officer interpreted the situation earlier, Riley and the others could even be arrested. Even the idea that the evil is defeated is condescending in the context of real world patriarchy. Um, And we have always had an issue on our show with the rape revenge trope. Um, And though this isn't explicitly that, it does serve similar purposes in that rape did occur and now there is somewhat in a revenge (laughs) right um because in the end riley and her sisters are going to be tried for murder of an entire fraternity's worth of boys and a police officer because one dies um (laughs) they didn't win they didn't win it's just like again like invisible man we are upset because in the end that's not really a win that's not how we fight back um the systems that exist and allow for the events to occur are still very much in place and what did we really learn um in the original we are unsure if jess truly survives um believing him to be the killer jess kills peter and the police also believing him to be the killer accept that as a just end and leave jess in the house and i'm not mm-hmm. sure why they didn't bring her in for more questioning yeah, we're like a hospital. We're a hospital or like, you know, get her some mental health, call her parents. Uh, they leave her there while Billy, who's a real killer, um, who happens to be just a mentally ill, faceless monster. Uh, 1970s horror. Um, <laughs> the, uh, and they just leave her with him and the phone rings continually at the end. And we're led to believe that she might not be alive anymore. 
So she might not really be a final girl. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like left up to interpretation. So while these are some truly feminist and impressive aspects to both of these films, they ultimately fall flat in the end. Still, I appreciate their existence and their contribution to the fuck the patriarchy movement. No, I mean, I really liked the film at first just because the world's sad. So it was nice to see people get vengeance in some way in the way that was super on the nose and did not make me think too hard. Um, so in that way, like I really did enjoy it the first time we watched, I was like, Mm -hmm. nice. But like, I definitely immediately after doing any kind of thinking about it, 100% (laughs) recognized and saw all the things that you said. Um, I, I didn't, so I did find Chris like slightly irritating, but like, I was also just like, she didn't bother me that much, but I also get like why other people were very bothered by it. It just seemed like it, like she was written in the way that like we write when we're like, oh, such an annoying SJW. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, she was, like, cause the fact that she was doing so much, I think was the problem. Like she had the petition and people were like, like it, it was there so that they could show that like how easily she could be dismissed but also like she was doing a lot and she was like it, like we have to do this we have to and it was never like because these there, there are these problems it really kind of felt like i want attention that's how i read it when in other people might have different interpretations i totally welcome that um i think i just would have liked chris to be our final girl yeah no i totally agree like um, they're all final girls but i mean like mm-hmm. you know our protagonists yeah no i totally agree and i mean i did appreciate there was slightly less uh murder of women in this film than the first one but it was also just like i totally get what you're because when i saw the original like end scene which is like slightly spoilers where they murder everybody <laughs> but uh they i was like Heck yeah. But then you're totally right that it was 100% just like, okay, well, that solves nothing, though. And in real world, they would be charged for murder. Like, they Mm -hmm. don't just ride off into the sunset now. Um, And also, like, exactly, like, it didn't, instead of, like, being, like, everyone is impacted by the patriarchy. And, like, in terms of, like, it's a part of our society in the same way that white supremacy is a part of our society. You have to actively be working on it and getting it out of your brain space because there's going to be instances where you're like, Oh dang, that was a bad thought. Why did that happen? And then unpack that. Um, So it's like, it totally dismissed the fact that there's active work into having to fight against the patriarchy and having to be like anti patriarchy as in a similar vein to like having to be anti-racist and that you actively mm. have to be working on that. Um, yeah, so yeah. it dismissed it, like you were saying. Uh, or that it's like, just like one thing. It's like, yeah. like oh, here, there's one issue. It's a murder of it, then it's fixed. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, what, now it's all done? Right? Yeah. Like, now we're supposed to like leave that and be like, well, they fixed it. Now so these, these women can go yeah. about their lives and it's all better and they never have to fight ever again. Yeah. We're, like, the reality is, is that anyone who actually does end up murdering in defense of themselves generally spends their entire if they're a woman spends their entire life in prison um even if it was done in Mm self-defense and then is at risk of being sterilized against their wishes yeah so it's really a bad time (laughs) but like at first i was like yeah fun murder page woo uh because i needed it because i was just inundated with really depressing information back to back but after actually yeah. thinking about it i totally agree um so i but i also go where it's like the critiques were the wrong critiques to have 
mm-hmm. that we largely saw. Um, and that's more the issue than anything else. Uh, but uh, my section today is going to be different. Um, one, I apologize for the fact that I'm kind of a chaos gremlin today. I need more energy, and this is what it is. Here we are. Um, but for this series and my section today, it's going to be less like history because a lot of us know what's happening. Um, and I'm still going to give some contextual information, and especially like in the retroactive piece of my section. So like, if you do go to our blog, please do, Mm -hmm. um, because there's one going to be a lot of resources there as well as just like articles and general additional contextual information for like why we're even having these conversations, you know? Um, and a lot of it's going to unpack that further for this section of my series, a big piece of what I wanted to talk about was essentially just a resource share, Um, calls to action, other methods of rallying our ghouls to protect the many things that are actively under attack right now, including but not limited to safe access to medical services, abortion, gender-affirming care, and contraceptive access, among lots of other things. Um, Mm -hmm. As many listeners probably know, there are active threats against Roe v. Wade. Um, Many states have been passing laws that make abortion as well as just safe medical care and access for women, LGBTQIA youth and adults, inaccessible. Um, With all the awful going on, we figured it'd be a better use of our time and yours to provide people with next steps for their frustration and rage. With this, we also open our platform to others. So if you know of any resources, rallies, petitions, et cetera, that I haven't covered here, um, that you think our listeners should have access to or want them to use, or want to like use us as an amplifying voice for, put them in our comments, post them through email, tag us and things, um, and we'll share them out uh, after vetting them, of course. Um, but the main focus for this is outlining because one of the major themes of this movie was abortion and abortion access. We'll be outlining access to abortion and the things that you can do to either support others or yourself in finding resources, fighting for rights, among other things. So I got a list specifically for if you're in need of abortion, um, steps that you can take in finding the resources you need. And a lot of these resources came from the National Network for Abortion Funds um, because they provide like this very easy to get through list, uh, access guides, steps that people can take for if you're in need of an abortion or you know someone who is so that you can kind of point them in the right direction. Um, This website also has an extensive list of funding for like organizations that fund safe abortions for people who need them, as well as travel expenses, legal advice, et cetera. So highly recommend checking it out. Um, It's the National Network of Abortion Funds. You can find links to them from most of the Google searches that I did, as well as Planned Parenthood's website, I believe. Um, So even if you don't get it from us or you can't find it in your Google search, you should be able to, but if you can't, um, there it's, accessible for many platforms. Um, So if you are in need of abortion, these are the steps that they list on their website. Um, One, it is to find out if you have insurance that covers your abortion, call your insurance company to ask if abortion is covered as a benefit and ask an in-network for an in-network clinic so that you're not being charged for fees or the services Mm -hmm. that may not be covered under certain clinics. Um, You can often find their phone number on the back of your insurance card, but if you have Medicaid, apparently it's 
very important to find out if your state specifically covers abortion because it depends, Medicaid is impacted by your state's laws. So your Medicaid, if you're in a state that severely limits and outlaws abortion, it may be impacted by um, what it is able to cover. Uh, two, make an appointment at a clinic for your abortion before searching for funding. Um, call different clinics to find out which one costs the least. Tell the clinic if you can't afford um, any of the things and ask if there are discounts. Um, and it's fine to make an appointment for an abortion, even if you're not sure how you'll pay for it, because there are services available and retroactive ways to pay for these things. Clinics don't charge you for rescheduling, which is really good. On their website, they do list a listing of like how to find a clinic in terms of like lists of clinics based on state um, and area. And I believe Planned Parenthood also does this. Um, basically add up how much you can cover on your own. Um, abortion funds often don't have to have the money to cover the entire cost of your abortion. So any money you can contribute to this will be important, as well as rallying, you know, friends, family that you trust with this information um, to support you. Use uh, their search box and map to find abortion funds that can help cover expenses to maximize your funding sources. Uh, you search by state where your clinic appointment is, um, as well as your home state. Um, and if they're not the same, click list all national uh, in the search function. Uh, read the instructions before you contact an abortion, abortion fund on the list. You'll find out if you qualify for funding and learn the best way to contact them by doing this. Um, and contact lots of places. There are many um, places available, but there may be more than one local or national abortion fund that can help you with your abortion or other things you need on the way of getting an abortion, such as transportation, childcare, et cetera. Um, but you can find out what to expect when you call um, from their listing. One thing that I found out in doing this research, which does not shock me at all, but was a little, it just is ridiculous that this is a thing that happens. Um, and I, I think I knew already, but like reading about it was like re-enraging mm. um, that there are clinics that intentionally exist to act as a barrier and don't give out any abortions at all, but instead are targeting ads for people who are genuinely searching for services and care as a means to mislead them, prolong the process, and ultimately push them outside of the legal range for safe abortion care within their states. That is um, so extra. Yeah. Um, and it's actually something I found out through my job is that you can target ads in a very specific way. And I mean, the laws around this have changed a little bit with privacy restrictions. Specifically, I know on Facebook, the way they target ads has changed a lot because of like legal implications. Mm -hmm. um, but in Google searches, they can have they can push their ads to the top and they can be fake abortion clinics or crisis pregnancy centers as they're called on the website um, mm -hmm. that'll li be listed in phone books as abortion alternatives and they'll show up in your internet searches and often offer you free pregnancy tests and free ultrasounds but the people who perform these services are not doctors and these places do not have to abide for, by HIPAA regulations. What? So you are not protected because they are not real medical practitioners. They are not real doctors. And by giving your medical information to them, you one, put yourself at legal risk if they are to turn your information over to authorities, but you're also guaranteed almost to get medically inaccurate information because these people are not doctors. That's horrifying. Yes. Um, and something else that I saw on their website is that there's places that are well-funded who will advertise themselves 
as crisis pregnancy centers as a like with the implication that they offer abortion services or even just like contraceptive services and care um, that don't have that intention and genuinely do just act as a barrier to keep someone long enough so that they pass the window of opportunity. Um, so that's really stressful. And there are ways, there's a list on their website as well as like how to identify these, um, how to find the right clinic. Um, there's information on that same website that does kind of go through this, but all of them kind of sum through is just, it is an exhausting process, but you really have to do your research in doing this. Um, seek the help of people you trust. Um, and yeah, just like kind of rally your community if you have one. Um, as well as just like be very mindful of your web browsers and things like that uh, with the potential of Roe v. Wade being turned over and states like Oklahoma banning abortion outright. Like I believe their governor has signed that into law. So there are states that are making it impossible statewide to get an abortion, even if you are still protected federally. So essentially there are lots of states that are considered very high risk for people who need to like travel long distances, like state by state, like you have to travel multiple states to get to a state where abortion is legal that exists specifically mostly in the South, but not exclusively. Pennsylvania is considered kind of, uh, that's where we live. <laughs> and there are actually some laws that do exist that are pretty restrictive on uh, abortion access here. It, um, is, it is still legal. It is still legal abortion yeah. in Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's just there are laws that are restrictive of it. So it's not like openly, of it. like there are people who will try to mislead you and get you to not meet the window of opportunity. And there's a map on the Planned Parenthood website as well as other websites um, that kind of give you state by state what those laws look like. But another thing that people should know about that is something I did not know about until I saw a meme about it on Facebook and then decided to do more research on it is the many ways that our data is tracked and how if services become illegal and like that one lady who had the baby's Jesus guns on the side of her truck was saying uh, <laughs> that like the politicians who are trying to push for these laws, one, are doing so performatively. They want attention. They don't actually care about human lives. Yeah. Um, and it is very evident that, one, they do not care about human lives. But two, they're doing this as a performance. They're doing this to get attention, to get votes. Um, and they are radicalized in a way that a lot of people don't seem to recognize <laughs> um, mm. in the sense that People, lots of people feel like it's not going to be that crazy. Like they're not going to shoot people. Forget. Like you don't know that. Yeah. So if the penalties for these laws gets really intense, you really have to watch how your data is shared and how you are sharing your information with the people you care about. So if you're building a network of people, you need to make sure that you're using services that do not share your information out with other people. And a meme that I saw on Facebook is what I'm originally talking about is that it could be dangerous to track your period on your phone um, mm. because of the fact that data sharing takes place. Um, there's lots of apps that are not protected by HIPAA regulations. They're not doctors. Uh, it, they're apps that sell your data to companies, government officials, et cetera. Um, putting you at risk for if 
abortion does become illegal at the rate that it kind of seems like it's heading that way, uh, that your life could be in danger in addition mm -hmm. to it already be in danger just for not having access to safe medical care. Um, so I found this one very upsetting just because that's crazy and that they shouldn't be able to do this. But also as my head is a void, like I, I I don't know how to keep track of these things. Otherwise, this is very upsetting because I was like, I don't know what to do. The convenience of technology also has a very big kind of like caveat in that a lot of the data that you have on your phone is not safe. A lot of the data that you have in the digital space is not safe. Um, and this extends into period tracking apps as well as like mental health apps, honestly, as well, like better health, I believe. I maybe cut that out because I'm not exactly sure which one, but there are those like really cheap, easy mental health services that do sell data. Mm -hmm. um, so it all kind of ties back to that. But the, at first I was like, wow, that's really crazy. But then I did research on it and it's not um, because the government and specifically ICE is already doing this level of data collection on mm -hmm. tracking to find immigrants. They're using social media. They're buying data from large companies in order to track people. And they already have a database established with all of this information. So this could literally be bought and utilized by our government if they felt like using it in a more authoritarian fascist way, mm -hmm. um, which it likely could. Um, so an alternative that I found on a website period tracking privacy on the Washington Post. Um, it offers kind of like alternatives to tracking digitally, which weren't super helpful because it was literally just like, write them down instead. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Use pen and paper, have a safe person who will remember with you, um, which is like my current method, because you need to know this information in order to track and be able to meet the windows that if you were in a position where you need an abortion, you need to know your cycle so that you can track how many weeks it's been, because that's how a lot of these bans and restrictions are organized. So it all kind of ties back to oppressive forces. But a, a lot of the recommendations were to write these things down manually, store them in a spreadsheet, which also I feel like is suspect if it's on your computer, um, yeah. have a safe person. Um, that's something that you can do. Uh, but an, another piece of what I wanted my section to be um, is kind of just focusing on the issues across the board that the film covers. So this film specifically covered two very large categories of things that women, humans experience. Uh, but in this specific instance, uh, the issues of like sexual assault and abortion. Um, so the first film covers abortion. The second one covers sexual assault. And we see these themes overlap. So I kind of pulled all of my resources with these two themes in mind. And uh, there's some overlap with the resources because I try to get as specific as possible as well as there's just a lot of information that I vetted it as best as I could. So please give me feedback on if there are resources not mentioned that you want to be added to this list or if you find any list of resources that like one weren't helpful for you or you had an overt problem with them. I, I vetted them as best as I could, but this is the first time creating a list of the scale. So I will definitely update it as is necessary or as is told to me, as well as as I continue to kind of build these, because we're going to try to do this for every episode in the series. I prepared resources like generally for dealing with issues of sexual assault on campuses. Um, there's organizations like victimsrights.org, Take Back the Night, Know Your IX, uh, NWLC, 
rain, et cetera, that offer services in dealing with um, sexual assault, general violence, um, and how to report those things as well as seek legal and professional support. Um, and those lists will be listed there. I also outlined specific resources that are pointed towards LGBTQIA individuals dealing with this, as well as VIPOC people who are dealing with this because intersectionality, you need to have resources that are specifically made for you because not everyone fits this box. There's also a resource on the hotline.org where you can create a safety plan for dealing with these things and making sure that like you have a plan in place for, God forbid, if this happens to you. Mm -hmm. um, and they offer like a way to kind of prepare yourself. It sucks that we even have to do that, but it does exist yeah. as a resource. Um, I also found out that RAIN, which is um, very popular as like an organization that supports people who've experienced sexual assault, um, has some problematic potential backstory about not being intersectional, about having like racism and sexism within their workspace. Mm -hmm. um, so I did share an article on that within there, just as an FYI. I, it's good to have the it, information. Yeah, it's hard because it's like they are an organization that does fund like hotlines, services, a lot of other things like that. Um, but I want you to kind of have the full picture on like sometimes these organizations aren't perfect. Uh, and might end up doing more harm than good. Uh, so I also outlined resources for abortion access. There's lots of things on Planned Parenthood that you can access, a court, a, like action. You can find uh, rallies, protests, stuff like that in your area. You can see a state-by-state -state tracker uh, for what your current state has in terms of abortion access and restrictions. Um, and like, organizations and your like state legislators, it gives you that like context on how you can kind of reach out to them specifically and be like, hey, if you want to keep office, you better get this together. Um, and there's a state-by-state -state tracker on there. It says that it hasn't been updated since September 1st, 2021. So I provided three other links that provide a similar state-by-state -state tracker option um, because the fact that so much of this is happening right now, 2021 is too long ago yeah. um, to rely on that information. So if that that's potentially just like not an act, like they just haven't updated that specific sentence, that's possible. But I offered, uh, there's gutmatcher.org that seems to have a more accurate and up-to-date list as well as um, abortionfunds.org state legislative updates. Um, they seem possibly more accurate. Uh, at least they list 2022 in their titles. Um, there's also a legislative tracker that you can follow on freedomforallamericans.org that outlines any kind of legislation that's in the works, specifically anti-trans legislation, attacks on women's rights, attacks on like any sort of like bans or restrictions on individuals. And you can track that to know what you need to be like your talking points for contacting your representatives in the government. Mm -hmm. um, there's also lots of websites that I have listed that will give you petitions, um, protest opportunities, as well as just like connecting factors to other people who are trying to do the work and fight for equal access and civil rights and, <laughs> you know, all these things that are under attack right now. Um, I list some petitions that you can sign. I'm going to try to build that out a little bit more. Um, there's also some places you can donate to 
uh, specifically abortionsfunds.org. It's where I got a lot of this information. They also list out so many organizations that offer funding for people who are in need of transportation, legal services, and abortion. So there's many places you can donate there. Um, Planned Parenthood, of course, you can donate to, to help them, one, update that list, um, but also yeah. give them more access to resources so that they can keep their clinics open as a support for not even just abortions, but prenatal just care, just like medical care in general. They were my primary care. medical person for years. Yeah, like just medical care in general that is available and safe. Um, so highly recommend donating to them. You can also donate to them in someone else's name and then they send a letter and that's just a fun little, um, to just make you feel a little happy with pettiness. Mm -hmm. um, and you're doing a good thing. Um, I also just like provide some general contextual information and articles that I read um, that kind of just outline the ways in which that this extends as like a human rights issue in addition to just like, it's not just about abortions. <laughs> like it, mm -hmm. it is very much about that, but there's so many other things that'll be impacted by this, including miscarriages who they act like in medical terms, they still call those abortions. So like you are mm -hmm. not saying, um, and there's lots of things in terms of ectopic pregnancies, the lawmakers yeah. that are in place don't know women's bodies. Like they nope. don't understand. They don't know uh, what ectopic pregnancies are. Yeah, they don't know that that's not a pregnancy and you will die. Um, and there will be no baby. Yeah. So there's lots of things that you can be doing. And I have this firmly outlined in that very long listicle. And I'll keep adding to it um, over time. And hopefully with each episode of the series, you'll have even more resources and calls to action for things you can actually do to channel the rage and just like frustration and sadness and other emotions into something that feels substantial like enough. Yeah. It makes you feel slightly less like I just want to stare at a wall until the world ends. Mm -hmm. um, it gives you kind of like very feasible and actionable things that you can do uh, to make yourself even just feel slightly better for two seconds. Um, it's so important. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, yes. Um, <laughs> thank you, Kat. Thank you for yeah. all those resources. And it's like a lot of those things are horrifying. They're always adapting and changing. There are, um, I can also like, if you're someone who even just wants to like read and um, learn more about those things or, um, <clears throat> like fictional things there are things I've, I've read uh like when she wrote woke by um hillary jordan mm -hmm. it's about a woman who has an abortion but she's labeled like a murderer mm -hmm. it's like dystopian things like that um i can always recommend those <laughs> as well yeah. like if you're someone who'd like We'll internalize the information a bit better. This series is going to be really important to not only just highlighting like what these films are doing and whether or not they're doing a good job, but also like what we can do because that's super important. Like we always want to make sure that we're not only making you sad <laughs> about the situations, but also like giving you next steps so that you can try to change the world. Um, yeah, and contribute in any way that you can, whether it means like you know you know, donating to those funds, even if you don't ever have an intention of having abortion. Um, yeah. It's, you know, people's choice and they should be supported. Yeah. And you can never ban abortions. You just, you just ban, ban safe, safe ones. ones. So yeah. <clears throat> here's hoping.
Yeah, I mean, so I wanted it very much to just not be like a sad trauma dump where it's like everything's awful because it is. And I didn't want to just yell about it. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, but sometimes that's okay. Yeah, yeah. And I think we do that a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, we'll have fun again yeah. at some point, but we're going to use this platform to speak up, especially about issues that are happening right now, because it's very important. Um, and we want to make sure you feel supported and that you know how to support. And so, yeah, um, don't get married. Don't eat your kids. Hmm.